Coming to you live, this is your MTG Action Forward News Team. Hello, this is MTG Action 4 News, your news team for keeping things fresh in the multiverse. I'm Mr. Commodore Provide, providing you new ways to lose your friends. Then we have Big Tuck, your breaking news source. Yes, and as our esteemed guest would say, when he draws three pieces of power in an opener, yeah, this is pretty good. I think this is a keep. Uh, or, as he might say, this deck struggles against combo. Anyway, I'm going to rotate here and send this combo player to the Shadow Realm. Or, as he might say, when he plays Legacy Loam, if they play Swamp Gown, I'm going to strip mine the f out of this player. And Bosch and Roll with all the rules to take you to school. What's up, guys? I'm ready to Bosch and Roll with you. Well, you are about to enter the, the Monarch, Monarch Throne. Throne. Well, guys, welcome to the Monarch Throne. It's the hottest seat in the multiverse. Our guest today is Bosch and Roll. Hey, Bosch, what's going on? Not too much, guys. Pretty excited to hang out and talk about uh, EDH. Among other fun topics, I was gonna say your favorite your favorite play style of all time, right? EDH. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't know how quick we want to get into the heat of this, but uh, <laughs> I mean, assuming the the play group's on the same page, EDH is pretty great. Well, well, we'll get into that. But we, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of your YouTube channel, and uh, I know that you've been playing for quite some time. So we just had a few questions that we thought we'd. Uh, and for those playing the home game, these were absolutely not prepared weeks in advance by myself and sent to Bosch via Twitter. <laughs> so uh, these are all straight from the cuff. But, you know, as someone who's been playing for a really long time at like a competitive level, I think you probably have a really good perspective on on a few things. And one I was going to ask is like, how do you feel the game has played as a as changed as a whole? Because you've been playing competitively for 13 years. Is that correct? That sounds about right. I've been playing Magic at all i got my first cards in 1997 oh, and wow. uh, probably uh started playing tournaments with something that could be considered seriousness around 2008 <laughs> that's a that's a that's a pretty long run so like how do you how do you feel like the game and also your other credentials is you're a level three judge is that correct uh level two for level about two. another month uh the end of an era um <laughs> the the judge program they shifted i, I don't know if People know this, but it shifted yeah. from uh, being run by Wizards of the Coast to a third party that you like pay for Ace. Yep. It's it's like keep really? maintaining a professional certification. Like you have to take continuing education courses, pay an annual fee, and like you get that money back in judge foils, but they've also just keep changing how you get the judge foils. So it's like not even necessarily oh, I'm sure that. you'll get the money back. So like I I'm I'm done. I'm out. Uh, at the end of this year. <laughs> At the end of 2021, I will not be recertifying. So I'll not be a judge for the first time in uh, 12, 13 years. Wow. Well, I mean, I would also think it would be because, uh, I mean, look, I, I would guess that a lot of the judges actually went through the pain of becoming a judge because you guys have a passion for magic and you like seeing, you know, competitive stuff and you like seeing these complicated plays where you kind of have to, like, figure everything out and get layers involved. Like that stuff's probably why people sign up because they weren't doing the judge promo gift program up until like maybe like what? four or five years ago something like that uh judge promos have existed much longer than Forever. that ever uh, yeah just how you get them has changed mm. dramatically yes. uh here and there over the years yeah and so i'm curious do you think some of your appetite to not get recertified 
has to do mainly with like the pandemic. It's been a year and a half since real paper tournaments have happened. Do you feel like you and your judge brethren are like, you know what? Is it even worth it? Like we got to pay money. We got to take certifications. I can't even go judge IRL right now. Like how I want to, it feels like it might be losing its luster. I'm not the best person to answer that because my fire went out probably like six or seven years ago on the, really? the judge okay. thing. Uh, okay. I, I was in it for a while, like traveling, uh, the country, even internationally, like uh, I've judged in Canada, Brussels, Spain, Whoa. Uh, I, I, sure. awesome. yeah, England. Awesome. Yeah. Like I've been around, I've judged the pro tour uh, and like I, I've done all that and I was in it. Like there was a, a pro tour where I was hired to work it. And then I also like was approaching qualification. I made like a deep run in a grand prix and I was like, Oh shit. If I like, Go, if I if, if I go like two and one out of these next three rounds, I'm gonna have to decide if I'm gonna play or judge this pro tour, and I would have chosen judge at that time. Really? And right, wow. just just for the for just because it's more fun, or that, that's just where I was in life. Like I, I was not trying to make a pro tour career, but I was very much in like the judge life, and it, it's got its own you know cult people drinking Kool Aid and stuff, and some of it's healthy, <laughs> some of it's not, and. I, there was a point in my life where I was just in on that. So like from probably like 2009 to like 2014, 2015, I would have judged rather than played most events. So your your response would have been glug, 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 if you will. Yeah, exactly. Like pass me that Kool-Aid. Uh, I hope it's I hope it's real nice and poisonous because I'm giving up my pro career for this. And oh, God. Yeah. And then there just came a point. I think it came with like becoming an adult, becoming gainfully employed. I got a promotion at my job yeah. around that time. And at that point, it became like judging was a way to stay a ahead monetarily while staying in touch. Mm. Like I got to travel with my friends to the Grand Prix that they played in. But while they were paying entry fees and winning or losing all day and usually coming home down a couple hundred bucks because sure. you know, it's it's a mini vacation most people are not going to win the grand prix they show up to yeah i was coming back up a couple hundred bucks and right right as as a college kid who then out of college straight into the like 2008 housing crisis like uh, there's <laughs> no jobs for millennials are you kidding so like i i didn't have money until like probably 2014 2015 and that i reached a point where i was like why am I traveling to work on the weekends? I could have yeah. fun instead. And then I started playing. Yeah. And then you'll notice that like my finishes and stuff start showing up around 2016. And that's okay. my, my whole like uh, quote unquote pro career or visible career like starts around 2016. Gotcha. That's awesome. So as someone who's seen plays and who has played, how do you think like magic in general has changed? Right. Obviously, it's a changing format across any way you want to play it. How have you personally seen these changes and what do they look like? It's definitely more approachable by the, the lowest common denominator these days, which I, yep. I don't mean that to be uh, derogative to the, the lowest common denominator. Just the they want people to open packs for the first time and be like, OK, I see why I'd like this. Right. 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 So like mechanics like uh persist like my creature dies then it comes back again or like undying where it comes back bigger like compare yeah. that with like echo which is like was a new mechanic <laughs> yeah, right, when right. i was a kid like i was opening packs in 1998 of urza saga where i was like oh I, I so it's a little bigger but i have to pay for it twice 
that sucks right but albino, <laughs> but, but albino troll is so good right legacy right. staple am i wrong uh, uh you're wrong i'm sorry oh. uh, <laughs> hate to break it to you man but, uh, my, my my type one uh red green deck with blastoderms no longer can compete is what you're saying right right uh yeah i, I was there for the era where spells were good like i i didn't really play tournament magic at the time but i was reading like scry and inquest magazines where they had like the combo winter during urza saga block where everything was broken tinker into memory jar was just you could play four of both in the in your standard deck and like that sort of stuff i i was adjacent to that i saw that uh and then i saw the era during like lorwyn is when i Time Spiral Lorwyn is when I like really started to dig in and really play and play limited, especially right. during that time. And that was the era of like Maldrifter or Baneslayer Angel. Like well, most creatures were like a Maldrifter where you get some value, but it's not going to win the game or Baneslayer Angel, which can win the game. But if they yeah. answer it, it's clean. A and right, right. now they have Bane Drifters, which are like a value engine that will also win the game on its own if unchecked yeah. and uh just recently just this week uh that hall breacher horror like whatever that thing's called hall broken oh. that big kraken idiot that yeah, can't yeah, be countered yeah. yeah like that kind of card that didn't exist four years ago uh right. that's the the fire design that's the nobody gets to have a bad time when they cast their card sort of thing but now, uh, okay. now your opponents do. Uh, like, you don't have to choose, do I want a big fat creature or do I want to draw two cards with my Baneslayer Angel or my Maul Drifter? Like, now right, you just right. get both. Well, and do, you, do you feel that, like, Ragavan is a good example of that? Where it's, like, it's it's on curve, it gets you card value and ramps you? Like, do you feel like that's, like, a good example in the formats that you play in? I think Ragavan is much closer to Maul Drifter than Baneslayer. Mm -hmm. uh, the advantage it can steamroll does sometimes feel that way uh but uh, it's definitely closer to the Maldrifter side but as far as cards that have recently been banned from legacy dreadhord arcanist i would say is a bane drifter because uh, mm -hmm. you can ponder if you need cards you can lightning bolt if you need your opponent dead and your graveyard's just full of juice uh renin six is a, a bane drifter because like that emblem's unbeatable uh, and it draws cards along the way. Uh, a, pet, uh, yep. a, pet, a pet card of Mr. Combos, who I think you opened, what, well, two? Well, I mean, yeah, I opened two in my box. I got lucky. That's a good box. Absolutely. Um, so do you, like, do you feel that these changes as a whole, even though they've been so big, like, do you feel like it's healthy? Or do you think that's, or is it just like the sands of time turn and this is what you get? And I'd like to add to that, not just healthy for the actual in-game experience, but do you think it's a healthy direction to keep magic relevant? Because that, that's usually the big kiss of death with trading card games is you could stay around for five years, 10 years, maybe 15, and then you're going to lose interest and people are not going to care anymore. Um, that's why, you know, I'm sitting on these boxes, sealed boxes of oh, Tales oh, of Aria. Here we go. Uh, Alpha edition. Hopefully uh, it stays relevant for the next 25 years and I'm sitting on $100,000. Uh, but yeah, so do you think these changes have been healthy for in-game play and just keeping the game relevant for, like you said, maybe lowest common denominator, new blood, stuff like that? I'll answer the second part of that first, the do I think it's good for the game uh, and like staying relevant? And I think that's a giant slam dunk, yes. Oh, sure, Arena yeah. is phenomenal. Uh, there's like 
the Magic Fest Vegas or whatever they're calling that thing yeah. is this coming weekend at, at the time of recording this. And a lot of people who I've been engaged with on social media over the last two years are like, and, and who have, over the last two years have just become like staples of my magic Twitter feed right, are yeah. saying like, what do I do at a paper event? What do I bring? And I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, these people have, they were, they were arena babies during the COVID quarantine yeah, right, and they've right, never right. been to a paper arena event. Arena babies. Arena babies. Hashtag arena and babies. I, I was speaking of arena babies. I, the last paper event I played in was uh, pro tour Phoenix right at the beginning of 2020 and or maybe at the end of 2019 i don't remember exactly when it was it was right after theros beyond death came out and i sat down for one of my rounds and playing next to me was huey jensen who is a magic hall of famer previous world champion and his opponent sat down and was like they were just bantering and his opponent was like uh so have you played on the pro tour before <laughs> and, and he was just sort of like yeah i played on a few yeah yeah and, right. yeah yeah i know it yeah i've been there right <laughs> and and to be a person who qualified for the pro tour who doesn't know who the hall of famers are who the like recent world champion was i i think he may have been i i don't think he was the reigning world champion but he wasn't that far removed yeah. at the time and, and like uh, i think that's awesome like I, I don't think that's insulting to huey i think that is just a compliment to magic well uh the only thing i'll add to that is that's so funny that 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 huey went through that because i love reading the articles online and i sometimes send them to to big tuck where tony hawk gets mistaken for tony hawk out in public oh yeah like my my favorite ones like he goes on an airplane and he like puts a skateboard in the overhead compartment and someone's like <laughs> who do you think you are tony hawk <laughs> That's great. Uh, I I occasionally watch this. I don't follow the channel, but the YouTube al algorithm must know that I like it. Uh, it's called Do a Kickflip. It's just like uh, pro skaters who drive around in a car and they yell Do a Kickflip yes. at random kids. Oh, right. And if they can do a kickflip, they give them like merch or a skateboard or headphones yep. or something. And Tony Hawk has been in the car a few times and he's just like, Do a Kickflip. Yes. And then they're just like, they're just, so just like, thanks, Instagram famous person, right? Like, I appreciate right. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or more like, thanks, creepy late yeah. 40 year old man. Like, go away. Think, Where's an adult? Well, and I think the thing that people don't realize is that they're contractually uh, obliged to drive around in a, window a windowless white van. So, <laughs> like, I think that makes sense why they would, uh, you know. Hey, you got to keep the skateboard somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Right. They got piles of them. So, so that's how you felt about changes outside of the actual gameplay. How do you feel like the the card printing and the direction that they're going in the R&D side is a impacting the actual gameplay? I think that nobody would argue that there were some miscalculations in the last couple of years of standard. Uh, mm -hmm. Something went wrong. Some numbers were weird and they're starting to dial it back. Uh, I think that the these Innistrad sets and the D&D &D set were all they're the Mercadian masks block to the Urza block that we just lived through. And this is all cyclical. <laughs> right. It's happened before. Uh, but that said, I think that the priorities in printing and designing magic cards are different now. As someone who you know, staked my claim on legacy and vintage as my formats of choice in the mid 2000s, I'm used to the idea that they don't print cards for me and we manage mm. it via the ban list. Like, if a card's too mm -hmm. good, it gets banned. If it's good enough, we play it, period. And I'm used to that. 
now commander is what sells cards it's not even draft it's not standard it's commander and sorry yeah I mean, sorry sorry it, there's nothing to apologize for it's, it's a great way to engage with magic and i think that standard players need to get on the level that modern and legacy players already were on which is they don't print for me they print for commander and if a card's too good we'll just ban it like mm. use the ban list use it generously get cool cards out into the hands of commander players who want them and if they're appropriate for standard neat if they're not ax them just remove the stigma of bands. So you think it's okay? Like, cause I'm, again, we don't play a lot of standard. Uh, Mr. Combo played a fair amount of arena uh, back in the day. So he went through this. So you don't see an issue with like, what was it last year? There was like a record number of bands in standard, right? Between like the Okos of the world and whatnot. Like you think that's like, you, you think, do you think that's like healthy for that format specifically? Uh, no, I, I think it's bad. I just think okay. that it's a, uh, it's a thing that, people outside of standard have been dealing with for a while but so quit i do whining think about it <laughs> i not not really quit running like the one legitimate complaint and wizards got lucky kind of with the uh covid shutdown and arena launching at the same time and they can just comp wild cards when they ban cards yeah but yeah, yeah. the pay the cash investment of a young person like a high school kid building a 400 standard deck oh my god and then, <laughs> like the core thing gets banned uh I, I've been there. Like I, I do not come from money and I just talked about how I graduated into a dead job economy and like tried to maintain a magic uh yeah. hobby that whole time. I know what it's like to like buy in and you're like selling last week's deck at sixty percent of its value to buy into this week's deck and trying to keep up with standard and bands are just like a nightmare in that situation. It's really bad that PR and it's really bad practical application of like keeping players. Right. That's literally why I refuse to play the 60 card formats. And it's not because like bans happen because bans happen in commander. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the tuck was laughing because I was <laughs> when uh, um, somebody, Paradox Engine got banned. Somebody took a little bit of a bath with all this promo yeah. art Paradox Engine. Yeah, had, I like, mean, I had foil decks. stamped yeah. expeditions and they just all went in the goddamn toilet. So um, I th that's that's a thing, though, because Commander, it's singleton format, which is actually the appealing thing for me. I think yep. it's like it forces people to almost be more creative because like uh, something that we'll be talking about in the Council of the Unbanned coming up you know that particular card it's like you can have one copy in the 99 versus modern legacy or whatever you could have four of them so you know i kind of say all that to say the the challenge that i have is i actually almost got into modern um you'll laugh because you'll probably say it was a trash thing i was trying to do but that's okay because i have a weird uh, aff affiliation with alter the brood i'm obsessed with the card I absolutely love it so i was trying to build urza brood mill um, to try to compete in modern and I was looking at the cards the cards I was gonna have to buy into it was gonna cost me like $600 650 bucks to get all the cards I needed I actually almost started buying them like I needed extra force yeah. and negations I needed extra Urza's started to slowly kind of accumulate these things and I think it only got maybe 60 to 80 dollars in and then all of a sudden they banned uh what was it the astrolab Astrolabe, oh, yeah. yeah, and Moxo yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So they banned both of those at the same time, and it's like, oh, good, my whole deck literally went away, and now there is because the only way I was going to go into modern is if I could find a way to build Alter the Brood and abuse it. 
because uh, I thought that'd be hilarious. And so, I mean, that just goes to the point of, you know, these bands, you know, I wish it would just be as simple as, hey, standard and modern, we're just going to ban all of this flat out. That's for commander players. Don't worry about it. But you have the rest of the powerful cards that you can play with. Because then people like myself that would like to play, like we'd be willing to invest into those cards. It's just I can't invest $500 into a deck and then a ban happens and it's like, oh, it's worthless. And now I got four of all these cards that I can't use and other stuff. Yeah, uh, I I will take some responsibility for that. I mean, the cards were broken anyway, but uh, I actually won Grand Prix Columbus with Simic Urza, or it was uh, Saltai Urza. Uh, I I won the Modern Grand Prix with that, and they banned 15 cards out of my deck uh, shortly thereafter. They hit Oko, Mox Opal, Arkham's Astrolabe, Mystic Sanctuary and Mycosynth Lattice, all of which were cards Jesus. I was playing. <laughs> yep, good. Five individual cards, uh, a full fifteen cards out of the deck. Uh, but they are. But now, yeah. like it, like Lattice. So what I was going to bring up to this is like there's like this weird inversion of that though, because like Hole Breacher, right? I've seen. Do you watch uh, the the YouTube channel? I've heard of it called like Magic Aids, who's a guy who makes like crazy decks and runs them through, you know, Legacy or Modern or anything. I have heard of this person, yes. Yeah, he's kind of a maniac, and I don't know if he has a social media or else I'd invite him in December, but he'd also tell me probably to go F myself. But like when Whole Breacher got banned in Commander, the price plummeted, and he was like, all right, maybe I can make this work in Legacy, right? Which So there's like this weird, I don't know, I feel like this is like weird push and pull between like cards that are pushed for Commander that become expensive, but they are, shouldn't mm. be if they're banned in Commander, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's something that uh, you asked me about changes in the game. As far as the price and availability of cards, legacy players used to be like, yeah, our cards are expensive and rare, but we're the only ones who want them. Right, but, yeah. Uh, dual lands, Grim Monolith, Intuition, like there's all sorts of stuff that commander players want, and there's a lot of them. And it, it is it has deeply affected the price of legacy. So, yeah, I I am one of the grim monolith assholes uh, that caused that <laughs> because I, I I probably own seven copies of monolith something like that and I remember I started buying them I think when they were sixty bucks like four years ago five years ago it's now what a hundred and fifty hundred and twenty somewhere in there all of these numbers uh, I you could tell me any number you could be like yeah drop a honey's fourteen thousand dollars and I'd be like oh yeah that's cool because <laughs> like I. I decided in like 2008 that I was sick of like the PTQ grind. Like I didn't want to build a new standard deck every week. And I'm just a legacy guy now. Didn't know anything about the format other than reading some Star Sea articles. I'm just like, I'm a legacy guy now. I'm going in. And I just started building the collection in that era. Like I got my 40 duels and like my staples and Force of Wills, Wastelands, all Tarmogoyfs, all that stuff. And I've just had all that for 10 plus years now. So like you tell me. Uh, like, yeah, I, I moved in on Grim Monolith at 60 and now they're 150. I was like, I'm sure I paid $4 for mine. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, my natural orders, I mean, I know that's been reprinted a bunch of times now, $2.50 for the place in a oh natural my God. order. Uh, like, <laughs> All right, Mr. Get Off My yeah. Lawn. I bought I bought Black Lotuses back in the day for a Tootsie Roll sucker. We joke, we, so a big funny joke about Black Lotus specifically is that uh, we both are originally from Kansas City, Kansas. And when I came back after living in China, which is when I kind of got like back involved into magic, 
I had a bunch of copies of Duelist, which back in the day were the only way that you could figure out what the prices were outside of like going. Oh, to your I recall. Show. Yeah. Yeah. And I had some that were from like 96, I think. And I remember, yeah. we, I remember we went to a movie, me and Mr. Combo. And I was like, hey, I, by the way, I looked at this. Guess what? Within our lifetimes, what black, what a near mint Black Lotus cost. And he was like, I don't know, 800. No, I think you're like 2000. And in that book, it's $400. Well, and so, and actually it wasn't 96. I think it was actually, oh, it was from high school. So it was between like oh two and oh six somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, it's, I think you could get an unlimited for, I think it was like $30, $40. Yeah. And, and I remember yep. that Tuck and Squee, our audio producer uh, for Empty Jackson 4 News. I remember at one point we actually looked up Black Lotus's Bosch in high school, I think it was junior, senior year. And I think we saw them for like $600. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, can you imagine? The Alpha Black Lotus, $600? That's insane. It'll never be worth more than that. <laughs> who's gonna pay, who's gonna pay that? Like, or Tyga. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, when I it, played in middle school, same thing, like Tyga, $20. I'm not paying $20 for that. <laughs> and literally that year, Squee sold his entire magic collection for $600 and bought a snowboard that I since I think it's been thrown away yeah. could have bought an alpha black Lotus and retired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also have those magazines. I'm also a like kind of passive collector of old physical magic media, like non-card oh, yeah, media. Sure. Like I have all of the novels, uh, the run of comic books, a bunch of like the, the player guides that came in fat packs. Like I have a whole run of those. Like I love that stuff. And like I, I have those old scry and duelist too, and you can just open it up and like uh the a full set of alpha is like nine hundred bucks. It's like, yeah. oh yeah. Uh that was nice. Uh and now, and now look at, that and, was. and now and now look at us. The world collapses, cryptocurrency is going everywhere, and it's black lot it's gonna be only black lotuses are the only form of currency. So how do you feel that these changes like we've described to magic have have specifically affected EDH? So I was a judge, like we talked about. Uh, I certified in 2008, was level two and traveling by 2009 and had a big chunk where I was in. And I was there kind of on the ground floor where it was just like, hey, I worked an event with Sheldon three months ago and he introduced mm -hmm. me to this thing. And it was just like word of mouth. Right. And like, I remember introducing EDH to my college play group, just like, hey guys, there's this you know, thing judges are doing. I think it's kind of fun. And so, like, I was there for that. Uh, I actually have a published article uh, championing CEDH on Star oh, City God. Games yes. from 2010. No. Uh, yes. I, it was 2009 or 2010. Like, it's an 11 or 12 year old article where I was like, why is everyone so casual? Here, let's play to win. And here, <laughs> and like, like it's that, my night that was it's my nightmare. It was an unpopular opinion at the time too, but uh, like <laughs> but like that evolved into its own thing, but I, like I was there in those days and then I sold all my commander decks to pay for a master's degree in like 2013 and then getting back into commander like I now own 3 decks again. Uh that happened during COVID, like when I was at home with just like oh I got to do something with my with my energy here. <laughs> And so the big difference I found is that commander is so popular now that everyone knows what a good commander card is back in the day. Um, like those core set uncommons 
that like you would find and you're like, oh, this fits right into my deck. Everyone already knows about. I uh, like uh, Corvold was the deck that I built when I came back. Uh, that was my. F I actually played it in standard, and I was like, "This feels like an EDH general." If I ever play EDH again, I'm building Corvold first, and I did. And things like Pitiless Plunderer and Poison Tip Archers—they're yep. just these like yep. random uncommons from sets that I didn't even know existed until I like did some combing on EDH rec, and then I was like, oh, "Okay, uh, at least the foils will probably be cheap." LOL, get f uh, no, because because everyone everyone's already wise to it. That's one of the big changes. The other big change is the fact that cards are printed for Commander now. Back in the day, there were just cards, and you would have to find like the goofy bulk rare that made sense yep. in your Commander deck. Now they print they like there's a set called Commander Legends. There's a run of Commander precons with unique cards that come out with every set release. Commander like. It used like it used to be like oh symbiotic beast that's cool I can sacrifice this and then it makes seven insects and I can sacrifice them too and get a million like pings off of my you know blood artist right right and you you would have to like find that deep in the file now they just like will print like some eight drop that like does all those things built in it's like you can <laughs> sacrifice this and each of the things that falls out of it can sack itself to deal one to it and it's like yeah. oh uh, yeah. like you don't have to work as hard and I'm not sure if that has you know like taken some of the the magic off of edh because people are they're handing you things and saying here this is an edh card mm -hmm. rather than having to mm -hmm. find a magic card that is good for edh yeah i don't know if it takes the magic off or if it like soups up the format in a way that now there's more interesting choices because there's just so many good edh cards like I, I i don't have an opinion if that's good or bad but it's definitely different yeah I, uh, hmm. I, my first EDH deck ever that someone gave me was Prosh, uh, which I still own. And I remember going, this is before EDH Rec or Scryfall or anything. I remember going to a, uh, local game store with my friend Scooty Shuffles and someone played Perforos. I was like, wait, that's a card? What? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? This is incredible. Like, and then I went and bought it for $3 like that day, right? And now, like, that's impossible because you can just go on EDH, like you said, you go on EDH Rec and find the best 50 cards for whatever commander you want to build. And they're twenty dollars. And they're all twenty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I did uh, real quick on EDH Rec. I did not know that Dockside Extortionist was a card until EDH Rec told me it was, and oh, I was God. like, and, and like I I had no like no understanding. Like I didn't buy that precon. I wasn't playing EDH when the precon came out. It do, it's not played in constructed formats. So like literally didn't know. And yeah, I just like shiped Corvold into EDH track and I, it was like Dockside Extortionist and like, what, number the, what one, does this do? One, every, every right. And one, I, yeah. I was like, oh, wow, that card does perfectly fit my strategy. How interesting. Maybe I should look that up. It's like 60 ticks on Magic Online and like a, a, whatever it costs in real life now, it's like 50 bucks or whatever or more. I don't, I don't yeah. know. But I was like, oh, 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 people know about this. This isn't just some <laughs> card. This is like the card. And then I learned I that like decks, some decks play like Goblin Matron just to find Dockside mm. and like no other goblins. And like it really is this whole like CEDH centerpiece. Yeah, we actually did CEDH month, CEDH month earlier this year for January. And we actually had someone from the CEDH cast on and he talked about his Corvold. And it literally was a Dockside deck. Yeah. The whole deck was just getting Dockside. Uh, abuse it as much as you can. You make a billion tokens and then you exsanguinate for infinity. Um, 
I am shocked to hear that Dockside doesn't get played in Legacy, though. I would think the whole ETB, get a treasure for every artifact, and you guys are so artifact heavy, and it's only a two drop that it's like, boom, I ramp out and I win. Um, so that's interesting. But the uh, question I have... Oh, go ahead. Uh, so Legacy doesn't have artifacts and enchantments in the way. Uh, like, uh, you might be thinking of a vintage where the Moxin oh, and Black maybe. Lotus yeah. and stuff... Yeah. Uh, like. In Legacy, like Sensei's top is banned. Uh, there, there are artifact decks, but most decks don't are just flush with artifacts. And we uh, gotcha. I did, I did try Dockside once in Vintage uh, as a brew challenge on my YouTube channel. Uh, the deck was not good, but I definitely had Dockside Extortionist in it. Well, there is, so, there is people. The last thing on Dockside, there, I've seen you play other decks that are like affinity, like combo stuff, right? With like Springleaf Drum, is that in Modern or is that in more Legacy? I have probably played some version of that in Modern Legacy and Vintage. Just the w the way my channel works, uh, I, I'll it's entirely Patreon submitted lists. Like mm -hmm. anyone who subscribes to me uh, gets to you know throw a list out here and there, and everything I record is from from them these days. And uh, a lot of the times, what happens is like I'll like when Modern Horizons two came out, I was like like somebody asked me. Play Aether Vile Affinity. Wait until Modern Horizons Two comes out, just in case there's any good cards in the set. Oh, <laughs> so I like I, I so I just like sat on that one for like a month. Urza Saga and Thought Monitor came out in the set. I was like, all right, we're in. And then like somebody saw the video and was like, that was dope. Do it in Legacy now as my deck for the month, you know. And, and then like <laughs> then someone else would be like, can you go vintage? I was like, it's your league. Like you tell me what to play. And so frequently I end up cascading through the formats with all the wild sure. stuff. And and if, people, cool. and if people are interested in this Patreon, do you have a link that you'd like to drop for some shameless self-promotion? Uh, go to youtube.com slash C slash Bosch and Roll, or just search Bosch and Roll, that's B-O-S-H, the letter N-R-O-L-L, -L, on YouTube, and any video description will have my whole link tree in it with the, the Patreon, the the merch, the everything. It's all your, there. Your OnlyFans, obviously, right? Like, uh, yep, oh, of course. Yep. You gotta, gotta share those deck nudes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just, it's just um, all decks so, unsleeved. So the one last question I did have for you, Bosch, only because you mentioned that you wrote an article 11 years ago about, hey, CDH should be a thing. This is a uh, argument that I will die on this hill for. Um, and anyone in our collective or playgroup that doesn't want to hear the rant, you can fast forward probably one minute. Um, my opinion is CDH needs to be its own format separate from EDH, more or less just meaning its own ban list. And I feel that way because my example, and this is where you'll have the knowledge, to me, it's similar to how we have Vintage and Legacy. How they're both 60 card formats, you both operate to 20 life, they're both uh, Fora formats. Yes, one does have a restricted list where you might only be able to have one copy, um, and for the most part, the biggest difference outside of the restricted part is the ban list. That's really the only difference between it. And if you really think about it, modern's the same way, but people like to make the argument, hey, modern, there's a cutoff point. What's it? Uh, cons of Takir or something like that. I can't remember what oh, block that's that is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Pioneer, Pioneer is cons block. Modern is like uh, eighth edition, I think. Okay. 
So I, I get those, but with Legacy and, and uh, Vintage, they are eternal formats, just like Commander. So all that to say, do you believe that we really should have CEDH in its own ban list category with its own stuff? Because for us, we have so many debates over power level and rule zero and all this stuff, and it would just be as simple as, oh, what do you want to play today? Oh, I'm playing CEDH. Oh, okay, well, I don't have a CEDH deck. Done. I think it is really important to the identity of CEDH that it uses the commander ban list. I think that the hmm, really exploration, like the point of that format is that they've taken what is supposed to be one thing and made it a different thing. And I, I believe it is ethical and it's good. Like saying I'm playing CEDH and like that interaction you just proposed of like, oh, I'm playing CDH. It's like, oh, I don't have a deck for that. That can still happen with the same ban list. It, it's just like recognizing that your deck is not a CEDH deck and mine is and being honest about that. And I think that CEDH gets a bad rap of the like neckbeard pump, pump stompers who just like show up <laughs> with some like yeah, you're nine right. out of... Yeah, they just show up with like a 9 out of 10 deck at a casual table at the LGS and like sure. And those people for what it's worth would get smushed at a CEDH table. They don't know what power is. They just you know <laughs> they just have you the internet. You don't understand right. what I, power I just got is. like I just got Emperor Palpatine flashbacks yeah. like immeasurable power. Um, yeah, exactly, okay, so, exactly. So uh, that's fair. I think my my thing and the reason I started this mindset, Bosh, is when Flash got banned. Flash was only banned for the CEDH community, which the rules committee and the CAG are. It, they say all the time. We don't do the ban list to one small group of the community or we don't adjust the rules or any of that stuff to just a small percentage. That's always their excuse behind not doing bans or leaving stuff unbanned for the CEDH community. So it was interesting when Flash got banned because no one in the casual community cared. I didn't even know about the card or even use it. But CEDH was running rampant with Protean Hulk. So that's where to me it's like, you know, I feel like we could have a different ban list. If we're going to start banning stuff because it's not casual enough, or if it's too competitive enough. I don't know. It's just weird. I, th I think you're dug in on a much bigger issue, which has been an issue since 2007 as well, which is the commander ban list is a complete crapshoot. And oh, like, like well, the fact we're that... We're going to get into that. <laughs> no, like the, the fact that this format from day one, like Sheldon has made like aggressive, like I will not ban Soul Ring. What what's like? I think at some point he said like, "What's it going to take? A soul ring in every pack for people to realize it's not going to get banned?" It's like, why die on the hill of soul ring and mana crypt in, the, <laughs> in a casual format? Like, w it, as long as people can still put soul ring and mana crypt in their deck, who gives a shit about primeval titan or flash? Like, it it's all made up at that point. Like, it doesn't yeah, matter. We, like, we, it, like, it's a complete crapshoot. We like we just like we were just talking about about upheaval where it's like that upheaval is not the problem. It's these other cards that people will play with upheaval and like what it's like a chicken and the egg thing, right? Like what's worse, this band card or these other cards that exist that are legal that make this band card unplayable, right? Yeah, and, and like a card like upheaval specifically, like I don't like that the function of upheaval is just make the game take forever. Like I if, if we're talking about cards that exist in the context of upheaval, I think someone who 
floats all their mana, upheavals, and then wins right there, or creates some unbeatable board position right there, is using upheaval correctly. Someone right. who's just yeah. like, I don't yeah. really know about magic. This looks pretty powerful. Upheaval, go. Discard to hand size. Yeah, right. Like that, to, that person is a menace and needs to be seen. <laughs> to that point, people do that with Armageddon because they don't know how to use Armageddon the right way. Right. But we haven't banned Armageddon. Yeah, it's just, that, hey, you, you should tell people you have mass land destruction in your deck. So it's like, well, why can't we have upheaval and just tell people we have upheaval in our deck? What's, yeah, what's the difference? That, yeah. that was part two of my point that was coming. And like just uh just diving into the ban list is a crapshoot. Like Armageddon's legal, ravages of war, decree of annihilation, obliterate is a card you can cast. Like what what's where's the line? Why yeah, is upheaval right. different than all they those other cards? Unbanned world fire. <laughs> right, yeah. Exactly. That was our big right. argument last podcast was like, what's the difference, right? Yeah, so here's I, 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 so this has been true for 15 years now, and it's as true as ever now, which is just like trying to invest making any sense out of the ban list is a waste of time. You, you should simply like treat the ban list like the weather outside. Like you can be like, oh, it's raining. This is bullshit. Or you could just be like, OK, it's raining. I'll put on a raincoat and I'll, I'll go about my day like this. This is the state of things work within it but trying to make sense of it or like argue like if this is it why shouldn't we have upheaval if we have obliterate and degree of annihilation like why like i i think you're gonna go crazy without yeah. being very productive so i would agree with you except you know with the weather example oh god it's raining i just lost a thousand dollars because <laughs> i left these rubies out there and they got rained on and someone stole them damn that's I thought, my fault i, th I thought versus my, i thought my Murpho versus pirate would be able to live in the rain but no he just got yeah, washed out <laughs> but versus the ban list oh it happens cool i'm out Five, I think it was like I think I think with the bands they've done in the last two years, I have objectively lost probably like three grand just off the bands. And I'm not even a finance guy. These are just cards. That's like, oh, that's a good card. I need that for my deck. Let me buy the promo art because I like to have promo stuff. So that's why the band list makes me sad. And uh, that is a that goes back to the thing that I said. That's the real toxic thing that's going to lose people if you have to ban out a standard it's people who just bought a deck uh the cool thing about edh uh, i am a hundred percent pro proxy uh, i i feel you like i am oh. with you on like i want this cool version uh my my corvold deck that is my my sweet baby it is max blinged i think everything in it is as good as it can get it, within like the english foil range uh and i worked really hard on that and if they ban something out of it, it's probably going to cost me some money. Uh, sure. But I know I could have, you know, just bought the five dollar copy of the forty five dollar card that I have, or you know, printed it out, go to Kinkos, or or oh. just, like a lot of people locally, I, I know, they'll have keep all their cards in a binder and just reference like I own a Dockside Extortionist, yes. and then print yes. off Perfectly any number fine. for yeah. their decks. Perfectly fine. We that's like the, the, rule the magic that we online collection our... basically. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the rule that we've kind of done in our local playgroup here in Kansas City, uh, mostly because Tuck was a terrible friend and co-host, and I, you know, was buying Gaius Cradles and Aber Duels, but I just wanted to get one copy and then try to play test it into other decks. He made me feel bad about myself for doing so. 
So in a drunken night of eBay shopping, I think I bought like four Gaia's Cradles, a bunch of Aber Duels, a bunch of Reservalists. And then, of course, like six months later, Bosch, that's when Tuck's like, you know what? It's okay. If you own one copy, you can just put it in as many decks as you want. Dick. Well, now you are, uh, now you got a, a quite a collection, man. I bet. And now, I, and now to end this, I have a stack of uh, proxy lands that I literally ran out of decks to put them in. So there you are. Well, uh, the seat is cooled down. It's no longer the hot seat. All right. And now to cover what's going on in your local multiverse. What's the plane chase? Oh, I die. Oh, I die in the court. This is the Council of the Unbanned. And today we have a card that does not deservedly belong on the ban list. And with us today, Squee McGee had to go on an adventure. So we brought in Bosch and Roe. Someone I can already tell Mr. Cabo Nova 5 likes to talk to and work with because he's a degenerate just like him. <laughs> so the card today discussed will be Grizzle Brand. Four colorless black, 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 black. Legendary creature. Yeah, black, 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 black. Four of them. I know that's I agree oh. with you. I was saying, yeah, four of them. There's four blacks. <laughs> Felt like I was on Sesame Street and the count was counting to be. Ah, 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 full black mana symbols. Legendary creature demon mythic. It's a 7-7 seven, seven with flying lifelink. And it states, pay seven life, draw seven cards. So as a reminder, what Mr. Combo number five must do is give his bullet points on why the card should be unbanned. It'll then go to open discussion, first to Bosch and Roll, then to Big Tuck, on why either they agree with following points or disagree, and why it should stay banned. And then finally, the collective will vote and have their voices heard. All right, so here's the thing. <laughs> I had never thought about wanting to unban Grizzlebrand, but then Tuck mentioned Bosch and Roll might have actually seen this card out in the wild a few times. So, here's my thing. One of the big reasons I've heard Grizzlebrand was banned in Commander is because we start with 40 life. And you can just pay 7 life, pay 7 life, pay 7 life, pay 7 life. Essentially draw 35 cards and still have 5 life left. Um, and the one thing a lot of people in the competitive community have the mindset of that the casual community does not is I don't care what my life total is. I'm cool if I win with one life. A win is a win. It doesn't matter how much life you had. So I understand that. But the card does cost eight. It's eight mana. And now we're, we're talking about this in the context of it being in the command zone. Essentially, the trouble with these banned cards, if they're a legend, is, oh, you always have access into the command zone. That's why Lutri is banned. So Grizzlebrand always being in the command zone, costing eight mana, Black can do some ramp, but really the way that I see Black doing more ramp is paying life to pull stuff out of the graveyard or pay life, play off the top of the library. Not so much pay life, play something from outside the game and put it to the battlefield. So that's the first point. The draw seven life, 40 life thing to me isn't that relevant because the guy does cost eight and it is trip or sorry, quadruple black pips. It's not like it's one black pip and five colorless. So, or whatever that be, seven colorless. Right. Point two. Considering, and I believe we talked about this with Yogmoth's bargain, 
Someone could draw more cards than Villas can at turn three with Necropotence. It's just that's that's a fact. It's a thing. Don't tell me Necropotence's downside is the discard to exile. Grizzlebrand, you got to discard. Yeah, they're in the graveyard, but you still got to get rid of them. Um, and uh, there are things like Reliquary Tower that exist, so you don't have to discard in any fashion either way. So Necropotence existing, to me, it's five mana less, and you can go way quicker. Point three. It doesn't have haste, so I don't want to hear, well, you could pay all this life, and then you could gain your life back. It would take a turn cycle to do so. And how many cards in Commander, it's like, okay, I play this. If it gets around, I can win the game. There's lots of them. So I don't want to hear the, if it gets around the table, we're in trouble. Because that's everyone. Everyone's in trouble if any powerful card happens. Uh, the next thing is, I think people forgot that a card uh, called Villas exists. You know, uh, I'm no sure. pro, but I'm pretty sure Villas is a insanely powerful legend. Grizzlebrand-esque, some would say. And the final point, yep. and this is the one that I cannot stress enough. I believe the reason it was so strong in the 60-card format is because you could have four copies of them. Plus, have four copies of your Entomb effects, the get it out of the library, get it to the yard, reanimate it from your graveyard, so you could more consistently get this on a turn one play. Commander, like we talked about in the first example, if it's, a, if it's your commander and it's in the command zone, I honestly don't know of a way that you'd be able to play it turn one or turn two unless you did that one land, you sacrificed it, you put Grizzlebrand from the command zone to your hand. You then discarded it, and then next turn play to Swamp Reanimate. It's, it's, it's the phage. It's the phage, the untouchable rigmarole yes. that you have to go through, right? Yeah, yeah you would have to do all this insane stuff and have the God Hand to get it done turn one. But I think we could all state there's many decks that we all have. If we had a God Hand turn one, we could probably win the game in the first couple turns. So I don't want to hear that. And then if we're talking the 99 aspect, it's still the singleton format. You have to hopefully have the Swamp, the Reanimate, and the Entomb in your hand or whatever combination of cards. And then hopefully, and you pray, that Grizzlebrand didn't end up in your opening hand. Because how many times does that happen? You want to Entune something into the graveyard, and you can't because the thing's already in your hand. Uh, that has literally happened to me with Tooth and... Or not Tooth and Nail. Um... Oh, I'm drawing a blank on it. There, there's another card. Yeah, no. Um, I can't honestly remember what deck it was. So that's how long it's been since I've played Magic. It seems like it's been like over a month <laughs> or two. Uh, so, but anyways, it, once again, it boils down to singleton format. Yes, your God Hand can get Grizzlebrand out quick and make it very impossible to deal with, at least from a value perspective. But cards should not be banned based on God Hands. Now... Bosh and roll! You have heard Mr. Cobble's arguments? Do you agree or disagree that Grizzlebrand should be banned or unbanned? And what are your reasons why? I disagree with extreme prejudice. <laughs> wow! Grizzlebrand should be banned. It should stay banned. It should never come back. Uh, I will tell you the tale, because I was there. I was there for those brief 
I feel like it was a month or two before, uh, <laughs> before the, the rules. Out. Commi- yeah, before they got wise to that one. Uh, this was in a time. Uh, Avicen Restored came out in 2012. And in late 2011, Sean McCoon wrote an article on Star City Games where this was right around the time where Star City started running commander pods as side events at their events, where you paid five bucks and then there was like, $30 store credit in the pot or whatever or 40 bucks and like it was w- the first real test of rule zero versus competitive EDH like it was the first real incentivization for you to play to win because there was money on the line and it got a lot of criticism back then it still gets a lot of criticism now when people do this uh, my local stores a lot of them do do this and it's a crapshoot every time but Sean McCoon, as sort of a protest experiment, devised a mono-black storm deck. In And his general at the time was Zhaodun the One-Eyed. Because mm. it was just like a black general. Yep. And right. you can like regrow a spell with it. And it was basically a turbo ad nauseum deck. It had all the tutors in it, all the rituals in it. And it could pretty reliably go off turn two or three with protection. And like defense grid on turn Sheesh. one, you're dead on turn two. And these cards are all still legal in the format. And then after this deck was already a known quantity, Grizzlebrand was printed. And guess who <laughs> the commander was after that? It was flipping Grizzlebrand. And this Zhao on the One-Eyed, which is mostly flavor text, you almost never actually used the ability of that card because you sure. didn't need it, your opponents were already dead. Grizzlebrand skipped even needing to find Ad Nauseam. Uh, I've seen some strong reactions out of you guys about the, the mention of CDH. You think it should be its own format? I saw some eye rolls. Like, if, if you take a look at what CDH actually does, Ad Nauseam is a core of that format. And the decks can find it, they can resolve it, and they win when it happens. And it happens very quickly. It is not hard to find one card in your 99 in the commander pool of the available tutors. Grizzlebrand, as a commander, getting that down, it doesn't matter if it happens turn one. You don't need to cheat, like uh, sneak it into your hand, discard it, and reanimate it. The fast men exist to cast it reliably, Probably turn two or three a lot of the time if you just put every artifact, every black ritual, everything in there. And when it comes down, you win. The game is over. Drawing 35, the game is over. You will exsanguinate the table. You will tendrils for enough copies to kill three people at 40. The The card pool does exist to do that, I promise. And tucking it into the 99, like Bandit as a commander, put it in the 99. Razaketh, the fiend, is it the fiend-blooded? Razaketh, yep. the something or yep. other. That, until the printing, I think it was Thassa's Oracle that invalidated Razaketh, but Razaketh was the win con of choice in CEDH. It was a deck called Razakats that, like, uh, it used, like, uh, Leonin Relic Warder, Looping, Animate Dead on itself, or, like, some crazy thing to basically tutor for the whole deck and win. And Razaketh is much worse at winning the game than Grizzlebrand is. And it was an entire Tier 1 archetype built on getting Razaketh into play. That card is much worse than Grizzlebrand. You mentioned Villas on as like a Grizzlebrand-esque card. Villas 
if you've seen Villas in play and you see how many cards it draws, it is disgusting. Like, it's really scary. But you have to pay a black and have a target for minus one, minus one every time you want to draw two cards. Grizzlebrand, you just say, I'll take another seven. I'll just pick them up. You know what? I'll take seven more. Uh, how much life do I have left? Uh, 34 life left. I'll take them. I'll take them some more. And there is no mana gate. There's no creature target gate in play. Like you just put half your deck in your hand and the game is over. I do not think that Grizzlebrand belongs anywhere near this format. <laughs> and that's, and I'm just talking about mono black. A lot of the, a lot of what I just said was about mono black. If you add in some of the known combos in eternal formats, like uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the deck Tin Fins. It uses Children of Corliss, which is a one oh, white yeah. human. Oh, mm -hmm. sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the for the listeners, Children of Corliss is a one white one one. You can sack it to gain any life you've lost this turn. So you Grizzlebrand, you pay thirty five. Children of Corliss, you gain thirty five. You draw thirty five. You reanimate your Children of Corliss. You gain seventy. Your deck's in your hand. Like that's that. These are there's a lot of seriously fucked up ways to mess with Grizzlebrand and this format. The ban list, the things you would have to ban in order to make Grizzlebrand <laughs> a reasonable option includes that bullshit like Soul Ring, Mana Crypt, all the fast mana, like that sort of stuff that. I, I, you've heard my opinion on already. Sure. If you cut all of that and treat Grizzlebrand like a eight mana card, you know, maybe. But even then, it's dangerous. Like, what is there to gain and what is there to lose? I, I just don't think the risk reward is worth it. So wow. I'll I'll give a couple points and then we'll get Big Tuck's thoughts. Uh, first, the Villas thought it actually you would never even use that middle effect. That's not necessarily the Grizzlebrand esque. It's more just the whenever you 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 lose life, draw that many cards. Black has so many ways to just pay life willy nilly any way you want to. So literally for eight mana, flying eight eight, it's a Grizzlebrand. You just need that one other card to do it. Um, Grizzlebrand doesn't. Yeah, I, I understand. That's why I said it's Grizzlebrand esque. It, it still does the it's, same it's, thing. It's just Grizzlebrand uh, can do it by himself. It's not. Yeah, not it's Grizzlebrand light. It's it's, it's like half of Grizzlebrand. Dying brand. I prefer the term right. non-alcoholic. It's non-alcoholic Grizzlebrand. So that would be the the first thing. The second thing is, and and look, I I, I do watch a, an okay amount of competitive gameplay. So yeah, I mean, you know, if they want to add Nas, they're going to add Nas, and you're absolutely right. It's kind of what the format's almost kind of warped around. I know Thassa's Oracle, like people are calling for a ban on that because it's almost everyone just tries to Thassa's Oracle um, and win. But, in even your example, you gotta have Children of Corlos. We are in a singleton format. And yes, you can have all the mana rocks and stuff and then boom, win. But I'm pretty sure there's a lot of commanders that if you can get them out insanely early, you just win the game on the spot. So... That's where, for me, when you got someone that costs so much mana, so many black pips involved, and he by himself does not win the game. If anything, he by himself kills you because you spend all your life to draw your deck. Um, and I just don't think cards, if they inherently don't win the game by themselves, they're just value. Unless you are unfairly outvaluing your opponents, that's not a good reason to have a card on the ban list. But, Tuck, I'm curious. Are you I just going, want to interject real quick I before Tuck gets his turn. 
the the argument that Grizzlebrand doesn't win the game, but in fact it kills you. Uh, I don't know uh, if that was intentionally intellectually dishonest or if uh, you're just like hanging out with too many like raw casuals. But that is not even close to true. Grizzlebrand does win the game by itself, and it does not kill you. Uh, it kills you the same way ad nauseum kills you. Like it, the, it kills you the same way Villas kills you. Like yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it is. I don't know. Like is Knight's Whisper a shitty card? Like who wants to pay two life to draw stuff? Is Grim Tutor a bad card? Like life is the cost. It's Black's color pie, and you, your life is a resource. Storming out the table at one is the same as crater sure. huffing the table at forty. Yes. Yeah, and one of these things happens a lot faster than the other. No, yeah, and I completely agree with that. And I'm not trying to argue that at all. But I mean, once again, Grizzlebrand does not win the game by himself. Like drawing cards alone does not win you the game. That's like saying uh, Ladman wins you the game on its own. Well, no, it doesn't because you still need a way to draw through your deck. So cards to me that need another thing to actually make it go. It's just like how how easy are people actually able to pull this off? Is it literally was uh, Grizzlebrand? Oh, gosh, just every single game. Someone plays Grizzlebrand. They have it out turn two or three and they just went on the spot. If it's something like that, then I can kind of get it. Like the Paradox Engine one for me was frustrating, but the logic was a lot of people were playing it, didn't know how to use it. And it was like, well, I guess I'm just going to keep on tapping my stuff and playing stuff and I'll just keep drawing a card and maybe I can win or maybe I can't. So I can get it. You're just drawing games out for literally no reason at all. It sucks because I lost a lot of money, but I, I just I do not see I, I get it. You guys have PTSD from your constructed formats and someone made a disgusting CEDH deck with them back in the day. But I don't know. Do you think if he was unbanned, do you even think that deck you described could hold a candle to like the stuff we're seeing today? Because the stuff we're seeing today, I feel like is nasty. I think that in the present Dockside Air, Dockside Extortionist, Thassa's Oracle era, that particular deck from 2011 would probably not hang quite so hard. Uh, I think it would be pretty close to competitive. I okay. think that it would be like solidly tier 1.5, uh, just under those crazy decks. It would be a lot more powerful than some decks I do see at CDH tables, because not everyone sure. is playing the the complete nutter, like turn one decks. Yep. Um, the I my I have a question that uh, your argument that Grizzlebrand doesn't win on its own, Ladman doesn't win on its own. What card does win on its own in your estimation, without the help of anything? Well, outside of mana, because everything needs mana, so we'll, we'll we'll put that aside. I mean, there's lots of cards that kind of just win the game on their own. I mean, you could think of the infinite amount of X spells. Even the ones that aren't like, well, X was 100. Okay, yeah, that's that's a terrible example. But think of um, Torment to Hailfire. I mean, you could Torment to Hailfire for 10, and that could win the game on the spot a lot of times. Um, so, you know, and I think the other piece of that would be cards that, I mean, no card can just independently win on its own. But think of ones that literally are so debilitatingly powerful that it almost becomes unfair even because of the help of another card. And I, I guess a good example would be Black Lotus. Black Lotus, there's tons of ways you could probably 
play it, sack it, get it back to hand, play it, sack it. Now you got infinite mana with almost nothing to do it. That's an insanely powerful card. But Grizzlebrand on its own draws you a bunch of cards. You still got to have mana to be able to play those cards. You still have to have some other pieces to make them do something. Um, it's powerful. I mean, it's great that you can dump your entire life and draw potentially your entire deck. But and you just flat out saying that the CEDH deck from the past can't compete with the decks today. That tells me that Grizzlebrand has probably been a little bit dated. It's not insanely busted as it was a decade ago. So maybe it's time to test it. Worldfire was unbanned. Fuck. Unban this. So I said that that deck from 10 years ago wouldn't hang. Hey, Grizzlebrand hey, but I'm would snap that. CEDH in half. Grizzlebrand, the card, tucked into the shells that we have now. The shells that were winning the game was with Razakath. Like, just replace Razakath straight up with Grizzlebrand. Every single one of those decks gets better. And your explanation of uh, a card that can win the game on its own, you're like, well, every card needs more cards to help it get there. Well, Grizzlebrand comes with 35 of them. You're going <laughs> to find the card. It's going to happen. But you got to have the mana to play it. So what's uh, once again, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, uh, if the argument's, oh, like Grizzlebrand, every time you spend life to draw cards, you also get floating black mana. Like, okay, then yeah, it does kind of win the game on the spot. I mean, like a Bolus's Citadel could kind of win the game on the spot. You can just play everything by paying your life. It, it's just, I, that to me, and, I, and I'm all about the, if you're at one, you win, but that's not an argument that we should be dying on a hill to keep a card banned. Because, oh, those, well, those, the, having access to more cards, now those cards can help you win. So those 35 cards, uh, let's, it just general mathematics out of a 100 card deck, I'm not going to go into all the depth of uh, the yeah, yeah. hypergeometric ca calculator because I don't know it, but so you draw 35, sure. uh, your, your deck contains Lotus Petal, Chrome Mox, Mox Diamond, Lion's Eye Diamond. Uh, what else do we have? Like, but the thing is, Mox though, Opal. Like, you, and then you cast Dark Ritual, Cabal Ritual. Uh, but all of that you stuff cast, you might have had to use to even get uh, Grizzle Brand on the battlefield. Right, but there's a critical mass of it in the Vintage card pool, which is what we're talking about. The, yes. C, the EDH card pool, there's a critical mass of Fast Mana, Black Rituals, Artifact, Zero Mana Artifacts that you'll get back off the ground and you'll be able to, you know, Demonic Tutor yeah, for Tendrils sure. of Agony, storm out, draw another 40, and then bang, second wave, you're dead. Like, this card is a one-card win condition in this format. You're literally describing why CEDH should have its own ban list. Tuck, what's your thoughts? I'm describing why Grizzlebrand doesn't belong in any version of this format. <laughs> uh, <laughs> None of them. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh... I think if you look at cards like we talked about, uh, the upheavals of the world, the uh, obliterates of the world, Yogmoth's the bargain, wa your world fire of the world, I think that they require a lot more deck building to make work. Right? They on in and of themselves don't don't necessarily like we talked about where it's like, oh, I think this card's cool. I'm just going to play it. Right? The game resets itself. Where I do agree with Bosch, I kind I'm of both minds. One, but I think the underlying thing to Bosch's point, to Commissioner Combo's point, there is a lot of different loops you have to run through, right? Like this card doesn't do it on its own. You have to you have to build a deck intentionally to do so. So that's I agree on that point. I also agree on Bosch's point that like I imagine if Grizzlebrand was unbanned, this would be the only deck that single Aaron, a friend of the show, would play. 
because now he has this like way to like have this value engine that he didn't have before and build around it to do so. Um, so I'm 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 of both minds there. I think that this card in itself in and of itself is not problematic. I think the issue is that the people that are going to the people that already have to jump through a bunch of different loops to do something that this card would do are going to potentially abuse it, which may make the format less fun for the casual players like you or I, Mr. Combo. Yeah. I'd like to I'd like to jump in on that because I did answer it from the most broken end. Let's go to the casual table. Let's say uh, somebody has no fast mana. They have made they've played eight basic swamps this game and the, the rest of the tables on the same sort of power level. And then you tap your eight basic swamps on turn eight to cast Grizzlebrand. What happens to that game? Honestly, like, nothing. Let's say, Nothing. Nothing uh, would happen. It would. You break don't eight. think that you don't think that that person no. drawing seven cards, attacking for seven, and maintaining their life total, even in the purely casual Grizzlebrand kills you because you lose life mindset, that person will attack, go to forty-seven, go back to forty, have seven cards, cast the best nine drop. The next turn, cast the best ten drop. That game is over. Bosh, you're assuming they actually get to untap and they now don't have summoning sickness. It doesn't have haste. That card would not last. I mean, Tuck, you play enough commander with me. If someone casts Grizzlebrand, is it making it around the table 90% of the time? If it's in the command zone, probably not. There we go. But so, that's all but that's also considering that's also like That's every powerful legend. There's tons. I mean, I literally have decks where it's like I can only play my commander when I know I can protect him. Because I know as soon as it lands, I will not get to untap with it on the battlefield. That's just the way Commander is. People what are vindictive and politicky. But if it's if it's if it is unbanned, then you could run it knowing that you're. This is like the tutor target that you want. Sure, like the sure. Ducks, like the Darkside Extortionist CDH deck, right? Yeah. So uh, my original thought was my original thought going into this was it should be banned in the '99, but allowable as a Commander. Because then it's much more telegraphed as a commander. You can see it coming. You know what this person's going to try to do. And you can hold up more removal knowing that it's there, right? So then the person running this has to play the mind game of how many imps mischiefs and these other spells do I want to run so that I know I can run out this commander to then like ultimately win, right? And I think if that was, if that was the split that we could do, I think it would be more agreeable just if it's like you could only play Grizzlebane as your commander. You're playing with your cards open. You know what's going to happen in the stack. You're probably going to play, like Bosch said, some sort of like turbo strong fast mana deck to get him out and then keep going. And then it pretty much turns the game into like arch enemy, right? Like these three people around the table are going to be waiting and with braided bated breath until you cash your commander. And then they're going to counter them, swords to plowshares or whatever, and then keep doing their, keep playing their normal side of their game. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I think the bigger thing, though, is, Tuck, don't you... What's your Vile Smasher deck? It's Vile Smasher and what? Thrasios? The same one. Uh, yeah. yeah, the same one as you. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, though, Vile Smasher Thrasios is a CEDH combo that gets played a lot, but yours isn't CDH. You play it for no, fun. No, mine's terrible. And, yeah, and when <laughs> you sit down, it's just like, oh, I'm just having fun, and people know that you're having fun. But you were able to take a the tier one insanely powerful. A lot of times when they hit, people can win with Thrasios. Sure. A lot of times, or um, or Zer or Zer the Enchanter for cycling, right? Sure. Like, I think that's so, I think that's the argument. But none yeah. of those cards to that point. Like I hear what you're saying, where it's like I'm playing Grizzle Band, but it's like a it's a meme deck, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like a bad demons. 
then that case that's fine i just feel that if it gets and i think there's you know certain tables where if you sit down like hey i'm playing a grizzle brand deck but it's a meme deck like people are gonna be like okay whatever right like let's just get mm -hmm. this game going because i've been waiting for 20 minutes while you explain to me why this isn't like a meme deck i think that if it is if it does become unbanned in the 99 specifically i think that's going to promote play style that i don't like to see in edh more so than if it was just the commander i think that ultimately the problem with grizzlebrand is that it takes that conversation like you have to build your deck intentionally horribly for <laughs> grizzlebrand not to break the game open and despite the dies to doom blade argument I think that drawing 21 on the way out, like I just 21 for one do you, is going to ruin the game, even if you don't get to untap with your card. But let's assume that Dies to Doomblade is a good argument. Uh, the Grizzle brand in the card pool, who is, who's, who's benefiting from that? Like if you want to no. play your meme demon deck, like make Kagemaro first to suffer or like uh, some, I don't know, like, is, is there a Liliana who can be your commander from one of the commander sets? Like, there's gotta Florida, be some, yeah. some commander that's not motherfucking Grizzlebrand <laughs> that, like, like, reading the words on that card, if I sat down with any deck of mine that wasn't built to be CEDH and my, and one, someone was like, I have Grizzlebrand as my commander, I would say, pick something else. Like, I don't want to play against that. Sure. I don't care what your meme is. That card is broken. Like, that's not what I'm here to do. Like, that's just not a casual card, and it belongs on the ban list. I'd tell you, if I ran it my Kalia deck, it would not be broken. <laughs> but, Kalia is already busted. Well, yeah, Kalia is disgusting. So yeah. let's vote. Uh, I obviously am going to unban it because I think it's stupid that everyone's all caught up in their feelings about the gameplay and drawing all these cards, and it's only cards. Ban Ristic Study before you keep this on the ban list. That's more annoying. And I run that card, and I plan on buying like four a, of the secret a, layers. A lot. <laughs> Bosh, I feel yeah. like we know how you're going to vote. Are you voting yeah, uh, to, to keep I, it banned? I am voting to keep it banned, and the argument of it's only cards causes psychic damage to me because magic <laughs> is about cards. No, it's not. It's about big, it big sure splashy uh, planeswalkers and right. uh, characters. And when my hand has 15 cards in it, I have a lot of them I can play. <laughs> big Tuck! Ban or unbanned? I gotta keep it banned. I think it's. I think Suck it's up. gonna. I think it's no. I think it's gonna. I think if this card gets unbanned, it's gonna drive a lot of people that are gonna play the stack to play it more aggressively. Um, I will say with the caveat, I am. If this was unbanned as the commander, I'd be mostly okay with that uh, and banned in the ninety nine because it's less easy to abuse. So that's that's where I stand. If it's banned every, if it's unbanned everywhere, I say no. If you're allowed to play it as a commander, I'm willing to let it slide. And I'm thinking I might just sneak one into one of my decks for the drinkathon this weekend and see if anyone <laughs> even notices it's, and see what happens. That's the real thing. I was going to suggest that, like rule zero, it run it, run it as a test, put it in your deck. Uh, just you know, I'm not a Grizzlebrand deck. It's I'm just a deck with Grizzlebrand, and put it into play a couple times, see what that game looks like. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a. I think it'd have to be my Kali because it wouldn't work yeah. in my Shirai deck. It doesn't make sense in Gisa and Geralt. Put it in. Put it. Uh, yeah. Put it in uh, Kalia. Yeah, either Kalia or my Brina deck. Um, I could do it in either of those. Oh yeah, because uh, it, it wouldn't just be complete trash like it would in the others. Um, 
Actually, you know what? No, that's the test. I'm going to put it in a deck that I just don't think it's yeah, going to work that, at all. That's the real test. <laughs> Grizzlebrand coming into play tapped and attacking on turn four in Kalia is not the test. Yeah. The test would be just <laughs> in some deck, like cast it off eight basic lands and see what happens to that game. Boom. It's happening. It's going in my Shirai deck where everything's power one or less. Let's see how good Grizzlebrand is. There we go. That is the real test. Well, it sounds disappointing that Grizzlebrand is going to stay imprisoned in the moon we will now go back to the action for news desk with mr Kalpo and big Jack. thank you for staying with us and as always remember to support cmd tower by retweeting subscribing following liking sharing and placing orders through cmdtower.com slash merch another way to support your news team is head over to our patreon patreon.com slash cmd tower with reward tiers for all the budgets there is a way that you the collective can help you can stay in touch with your MTG Action 4 News team by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and our website, cmdtower.com. You can communicate directly with your team at cmdtower, at number 5 all spelled out except for the 5, at Bosch and Roll, at Dear Squee, and at Big Tuck Tweeting. For your MTG Action 4 News team, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and draw 7.